are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to enter into the Word of God now. And as we do, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer and just ask Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts today from his word. So, Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is live and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And this morning, Lord, we open up our hearts to receive from you. We know that you have something that you want to speak into our lives and into this place, God. And I just pray that this morning our hearts would be open and receptive to hear what your word is to us today. In your precious name, amen. So... Pastor Lance, had, we were in conversation over the last couple of weeks, and he had mentioned about this morning, and, um, and he had, I know, planned to have a topic on knowing God. That's where you guys are at right now in your uh, theme and just um, where, where we're going this morning, the importance of knowing God and, and what that looks like for each one of us. And this morning, I want to invite you back to a few thousand years ago in the ancient Near Eastern world and draw your attention to the scene of the people of God, the Hebrew people who were in exile in the land of Egypt. And here in the land of Egypt, the children of Israel found themselves immersed immersed in the Egyptian culture, and through years of captivity, the Israelites were greatly influenced by the customs and the, the traditions of Egyptian civilization. And no longer did it really matter how the Israelites arrived in the land of Egypt, because for 400 years, They were greatly afflicted and endured the worst of the Egyptians with intensifying oppression. And we read the account of of their story in this context in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus um, following Genesis. And it goes through the account of the children of Israel in exile. And Exodus chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there. Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. And here it says, Therefore therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they were built for Pharaoh Pharaoh supplied cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve with rigor. There are indications in the Exodus account that suggest that Israel had forgotten God during their sojourn in Egypt. They were in a foreign land, surrounded by foreign gods, immersed in traditions and a culture that was not their own. And they were severely oppressed in Egyptian bondage. I could only just imagine how this must have been for these people and the forced labor that they were forced to work 
with hard circumstances and just how their hearts must have become calloused in that time. Through years of toil and captivity, they probably became um, to the point of not even knowing who their God was, who Yahweh was in their lives, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I imagine they became hard-hearted and maybe didn't even fully trust that God really did see them in that time. Through 400 years of bondage, the Hebrew people seemed to have lost their identity of who they were as the people of God, their understanding of the importance of, of knowing God and who he was in their lives. In the midst of this intense bondage, there is a striking note of hope for the children of Israel. And we read in Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25, it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. A glimpse of hope right then and there in the midst of this time of great oppression, a time when they were far from their homeland, a time when they were in severe desperate need of a savior to come and rescue them, to redeem them, and to bring them into a hope and a future. And did you realize the frequency when we were reading these verses, the frequent use of God in these verses? This five-fold repetition of the title God is significantly something, signifies something that is, that is going to happen. It signifies that there's something great that is about to take place, that God is going to do something great in the midst of this, this time. So God had promised that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would become a nation and possess the land of Canaan. God in, is in covenant with people. He co- he's a covenant-keeping God, and he remembered the covenant he had made with, with his people, and he wanted to rescue them. He wanted to come and he wanted to keep that covenant because he's faithful to what he promises over his people's lives. And he begins to act upon it. God is a God of action. He's a God of um, acting and just doing miracles in people's lives. And God has, had not forgotten the children of Israel. And perhaps they had forgotten him in the midst of their situations in Egypt But he remembered, and he was going to begin to show up on their behalf. He was going to begin to take them from a place of bondage into a place of hope and a future for their lives and deliver them and put into motion a plan of deliverance for his people. God was at work in Israel's history and selected Moses as a prophet to help accomplish his plan of deliverance for the children of Israel And God's desire was that they would know him and be known by him. God desired that his people knew who he was. He wanted to be intimately involved in their lives. He identified himself in Exodus 3, verses 14 to 17, as the great I am. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God is the one who exists. He is with the people and he wants to be known by his people as the great I am, the great I am who comes along and he is all-sufficient, all-powerful. And God begins to work on behalf of the children of Israel to bring them out of the house of slavery and bondage. And God's divine identity is revealed and God begins to demonstrate his salvation, his saving presence in their lives. He begins to move Israel and begins to do something for them. And it's tremendous to see God beginning to stir his people's hearts, beginning to minister into their lives when they've been so foreign, when they've been so far from knowing who God is. And he's coming along and he's saying, I am that I am, and I am with you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to show up on your behalf, and I'm going to do something powerful for you because you are my people. And this is the God who they serve and this is the God who who he wants to reveal himself so that they can serve him fully in the earth and move and move beyond that place of bondage into a place of freedom into a place of liberty a place where they can stand strong as the people of God and Exodus 6 verse 2 to 8 it's powerful It says here, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. What powerful words written, powerful verses of God revealing himself and making himself known to his people, that they would walk in obedience, that they would walk in covenant relationship with their God. To walk in obedience and to be set apart as a holy nation, a special people that God calls his own. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is who God is, was calling his people to be. That is who his people were to him, a treasured possession. A treasured possession. A holy nation. The children of Israel were set apart to worship God and God alone.
Now I invite you to fast forward with me to our present modern age, the here and now, currently. And we find ourselves in a world and a society that operates in contrast to God's ways, his rule and order for our lives. Our society welcomes many cultural traditions. They welcome many foreign gods and has a tolerance policy and a mindset that says, whatever path you want to choose for your life is fine because all paths lead to the same destination. And that seems to be a very popular mindset and a lot of tolerance on just whatever people want. They can add whatever mix and it is okay. And that's kind of the place where we find ourselves in, in, in our own current culture and our own world. And we live in a society where it is easy to become immersed in our culture and traditions that surround us without even thinking about the consequences or how certain things can affect our own relationship with God and influence us. And worse yet, there are times when we can become so accustomed to our world that we forget who God is. And we find ourselves in a place of not even knowing who we are as his people, who we truly are as the people of God, because we, we hear so many voices out there and there's so many different things that bombard our, our lives and um, what we hear on television, what we hear through media, whatever the source may be. And that ca can cause confusion, that can cause us to question and to wonder in the midst of all of this around us, who is our God? Do we know him? Do we truly know him? Do we know who our God is? And are we becoming more influenced by our culture? Or are we those who are seeking God and he, wanting to know him, wanting to really truly know who our God is so that we can be counterculture, so that we can stand and be an example to our culture, stand and be an example of righteousness, stand and be an example of who God wants us to be in the midst of a, of a challenging circumstances sometimes, in the midst of um, people who are seeking, longing to have a glimpse of hope and a glimpse of future. And you know what? God has deposited that within our lives. He has deposited his hope within each one of our lives. And we are to be those who, who are identified as the people of God in our world. Who we are as his people. And do we know him as our God? You know, it's the exact place where the enemy would want us to be questioning God and kind of you know, distancing ourselves and saying, well, there's other gods and there's other things and other religions and this and that and, and really trying to question. And Satan would want us to kind of fall into that trap. John 10.10, 10, we all know the verse that says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, meaning God, has, has come, Jesus Christ has come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There is a subtle attack of becoming disillusioned, disenfranchised, not knowing what is real, not knowing right, the right versus the wrong. 
And the enemy would want to cause confusion, anxiety, doubt, and frustration to creep into our lives. He would want to bombard us with all of these different things and, and feelings and questionings, and, and that can cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration. And oftentimes we morph into the environment that we're surrounded with. The more you spend time with someone, the more you're going to become like that person. You're going to start talking the same way. You're going to start acting the same way. You're going to start uh, sometimes even dressing similar. And, and that's common. We all, we all know that. And it's the same thing when we're in a, immersed in our culture. We be, start to maybe talk like others do and walk like they do and, and this and that. But God... When we know him, when we truly know him, and when we're seeking him, he's going to begin to stir our hearts so that we would begin to walk like him, so that we would begin to talk like him, so that we would be those who would be set apart for him. If we are not taking time to get to know God, reading his word, praying, spending time with his people in fellowship with one another, it can become really easy to step into the slippery slope and not even realize that we have journeyed away from our relationship with God. You know, it's, it's just a slight slippery slope that's there. And eventually we find ourselves in a place that is completely foreign to us, a place of exile, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, notes that the New Testament believer has entered into the same privileges as the children of Israel, those who are chosen of God. And it says here in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now has obtained mercy. It is important for us to know God, because when we know God, we understand who we are as his people. When we know God, we understand that our identity is not found in the culture that surrounds us, but our identity is is in Christ. Our true identity is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We begin to identify ourselves as the people of God who are called out, who are called out and set apart for his purposes. As children of God, we are no longer slaves to sin and to bondage, caught up in this world system, but rather we are the slaves of righteousness. We are called to walk in holiness. Romans 6, verses 17 to 18 says, But God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, you were, sorry, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine 
to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became those who were walk you became those who walk in righteousness, who walk in holiness, who desire purity and to know your God. When we know God, we begin to understand who He is and who He created us to be, who God created us to be. We are we begin to recognize that we are members of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I love a verse in Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32. And in the second part of that verse, it says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong those who know their God, those who are walking in relationship, covenant relationship with their God, shall be strong and do great exploits, shall go out and be his ambassadors in the world, shall go out and be those who are his witnesses, his testimony of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his love. And as we get to know God, we gain confidence in him. And we learn that we can trust him. You know, the, the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they, they probably lost trust in God. But as we get to know God, we learn that we can trust him and that he's a good God who's faithful and wants to look after his children. During Jesus' prayer in John 17, which is recognized as the high priestly prayer, Jesus speaks of what it is to have eternal life, what it means to have eternal life. And in John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent that they may know you. Jesus is praying that they may know you. This is eternal life. God has revealed his glory through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to bring freedom and deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. In Luke verse 4, 18 to 19, Jesus says, this is Jesus He's come to rescue us. He's come to set us free. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. No longer do we have to be bound in the bondage of Egypt, the world's system, the world's ways. For Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. Amen? He's come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. He's come as as the Savior and Deliverer. If we are going to live out a victorious, abundant Christian life in Jesus Christ, we must know him. We must walk in covenant relationship with our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He's the great I am who leads, provides, 
protects, delivers, and dwells among his people. And I wonder this morning, I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? I wonder if you know him. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. That is our king. That is our king. And I believe that this morning, God wants to know, you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. And I'm just going to invite you to stand with me as the band comes. That's our king. 
He is the all-sufficient one. He is the one who walks with us. He's the one who comes and reveals himself to us in a greater way. And he's the one who wants to come today. And he wants you to know that he is here to set the captives free. He is here to meet with you no matter what your situation is, no matter what you're faced with, no matter what life has thrown your way that seems impossible. I want you to know this morning that nothing is impossible with God. We serve a God who is powerful. We serve a God who knows who you are. He knows who you are in the midst of your situation. God knows you. God sees you. He sees you. He knows you. Maybe you find yourself in a wilderness situation where life doesn't seem to make sense and you're wondering and you're questioning and you're trying to figure it all out and it doesn't seem to line up. You need to know that God sees you and he's here to set the captives free. He's here to redeem your life. He's here to reveal himself greater to you. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.